Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. Are you comfortable in life? Well, is it possible that you are too comfortable? Could it be that you have settled in the land of permissible and are missing out on God's best for you? I am so excited for you to listen to this message that was captured at my fall 2023 conference, West Side Story. As you listen, there are two things you have to look forward to. First, my spring 2024 conference, There's a Super on Your Natural, is the next part to these messages on West Side Story. And second, this message will be published as my eighth book. Be ready for the release of that book this spring. All right, here we go. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to my channel if you haven't already and share it with a friend. All right, enjoy the show. Today we're going to be talking about taking more territory. Now I mentioned that the west side was all about the Israelites trying to navigate into a space of more territory. But I want you to remember that West Side Story is not a destination, it's an identity. It's who you have become, it's your identity, and the West Side Story is already in you. Can I teach you a little bit this morning? So we are three-part people. We are spirit, soul, and body. And in the center of you is your spirit man that comes alive upon salvation, okay? So that's why you have the capital S there. It is your God man in you. And then this this middle ring is your soul. Now your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I like to call them your thinker, your feeler, and your picker because we remember it that way. It's kind of quirky. And so we remember it that way. And then your body is your flesh. It's made up of your speech, your five senses, and actions as well. Okay, so the Israelites, the Israelites were trying to move from the outside into the spirit land. They were trying to move into the promise. And a lot of us as believers, we're still trying to move into the promise, and we forget that the promise is in you. And really what we want is we want to live inside out, and we want to move the spirit, we want to move the promise from the inside, and we want the, the west side to be the expression of how we live our life. I want the promises of God to be seen in everything that I do, all of my speech, all of my actions, all of my senses. So let's look at it like this. The inside of you is your promised land. That's your west side story. Remember, the Old Testament was them moving into the west side. But I want you to picture that soul realm of you like the Jordan River, that we're trying to get across my emotions. I'm trying to get on the other side of my reasoning. I'm trying to get on the other side of my compromising choices. I'm interested in the Holy Spirit having my sense of hearing, having my sense of sight, having my sense of smell. I want to be able to discern spiritual atmospheres just like I've been given the senses to discern my physical atmosphere. I want to discern what is happening in the spirit. And I want to pay attention to that. And if we look at this, the Holy Spirit is in us. And a lot of us showed up this week and going, I want to get in the west side because I want to take more territory for the kingdom. But I'm here to tell you that you will not take more territory around you until you let the Holy Spirit get more territory in you. You've got to let the Holy Spirit get more territory in you. So this season we're going to be talking about, in this session we're going to be talking about crossing the Jordan River of your soul. 
shaking from the carnality of the soul so that the Holy Spirit can have more of you. I talked about how a natural man is the unsaved man, but the carnal man is the saved man that still acts unsaved. He still thinks unsaved. He still responds unsaved. His relationships look unsaved. And a lot of us need to move beyond just being saved to being spiritual. I'm going to say that again. Because almost everybody in this room, I'm going to assume, is, is saved, but not everybody is spiritual. And probably everybody in this room believes in the spiritual, but you're not living in the spiritual. Right? Reuben and Gad believed in the supernatural land. They believed in the promise. They actually went in and saw it, but they didn't live in it. They went into it, helped them fight, left their children at home, not teaching their children how to battle and kept their children safe on the, inside, on the east side and settled in that place. So let's talk about crossing the Jordan. Now let me just give you some, some facts. The Israelites crossed the Jordan River during the springtime. Why is that a big deal? Well, that's because when all the snow was melting from the surrounding mountains, and it caused the riverbanks to overflow. We can read that in Scripture. It says that they crossed during the time where the banks were overflowing. Now, not, older, over, not only were they overflowing, it was said during this time frame that the waters would be rushing, that they would be the most rough, that they would be the most difficult to cross. Also, very interesting, if you look at the River Jordan, they crossed opposite of the Jericho, which happened to be the widest part of the River Jordan. Now, if I'm God, I'm like, these people are never going to make it. <laughs> but of course, he He's big. He doesn't think like I think, right? And he's like, these people don't even think they can cross this 90 feet. But watch me take them across two miles. It was the widest part of the Jordan River, the worst time of the year, and the most torrential conditions. And God says, now is your time. Come on. And I wonder who in here feels like this is the worst season of my life. My mind is torrential. My depression is overwhelming. It's too deep in my addiction. I'm too deep in my depression. I'm too deep in my anger because not only was it the widest part, that means it was also the deepest part. Not only that, not only that, but if we remember in this story, the water wasn't going to part where they could see it. They had to put their foot in the water before the water would part. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Joshua, I probably would have gotten to the river, and I probably would have gone like this, like Moses, like I'd seen it done in the past. But this was a new season, and it required a new faith. And I'm going to say that again, because when God brings you to a new season, it's going to require a new faith. And a lot of us try to do it the way he did it in our yesterday. But here's the thing. If you're growing from glory to glory, you're not who you were yesterday. So God's going to do it different than he did yesterday. And there's going to be a new faith that rises up in you that says, I don't need to see. Remember we talked about the east side is faith, but the west side is blind faith. See, faith is I'm going to come to the river, I'm going to come to the Red Sea, the water's going to part, and I'm going to trust God to hold the waters back. That's faith. Blind faith is I don't need to see it part, I'm going to get going. Come on, that's blind faith. It's the faith to say I don't need God to part the waters because he's given me the authority to put my foot in the chaos and scatter the demons. He's given me the authority to do that. And that's what we see here. So my point is this. There's never going to be a convenient time to start crossing the Jordan River in your life. 
In fact, it's probably going to be the most inconvenient time. Am I preaching to anybody out here? It's probably going to be the most inconvenient time, and that's when God will say, now is your time. And here is why you can't decide to navigate your life on natural time. You have to discern spiritual time. If you haven't read my book, Mastering Your Seasons, it talks all about the difference between chaos timing and chaos and chronos timing in the Bible. And so if you haven't learned how to discern spiritual seasons in your life, you're probably navigating your life based on what you see, based on what you know, based on evidence. And God is so gracious. He works through all of that. He really does. But that's east side. I tell people all the time, if you ask the Lord for a sign, that's great. He'll do it. He'll give it to you. But don't tell somebody you made a decision on faith because you made a decision on evidence. You made your decision on a sign. And that's okay. God will still bless you. But I think we can do better. I think we can do better. So this required a lot of faith not only to activate their promise, but to activate it during the worst and most inconvenient time in the natural. So how do we begin the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to take more territory of our soul? I want to talk to you about purifying your character. Purifying your character. Now you guys have, a lot of you have read my book, The Pursuit of His Glory, where I talk about the difference between the glory of the Lord, the nature of God, the character of God, the who He is, versus the anointing of God, which is how He works, how He manifests the hand of God, right? So we're talking about the heart of God versus the hand of God. We're talking about character. And I, and I tell people all the time, like, I, you know, we, I travel all around the nation, and people are always like, teach me to do what you do. And I'm like, I, first of all, nobody taught me how to do what I do. I learned this from God himself by sitting in my closet and allowing him to refine character. Because the more your character is refined, the more the anointing will flow. You will not be able to hold it back. Mama Shirley always says to me before I minister, she'll pat me on the shoulder like this. That's her love languages, a hard pat. How's your heart? How's your heart, Lisa? Because nobody wants to drink from a dirty vessel. Nobody wants to drink, right? She says that. She's like, how's your heart? Have you walked yourself through some repentance? Remember, confession, east side, repentance, west side. We're good at confessing. Oh, because it looks humble. It looks religious. But repentance is, I've got a plan. I haven't just confessed to the pastor, but I'm already, I've already got a plan in place of how I'm going to change this pattern in my life. I've already got a plan in place. All right, so we want to purify ourselves. Purifying your character creates a pathway for the Holy Spirit to move more freely, remember, from the inside to the outside, right? He has to, doesn't have to kind of, and, and look, Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do. We know that. But remember, he gives us free will. And so he's not, uh, sometimes he's invasive. I mean, he definitely knocks Saul off a horse, but uh, <laughs> a high horse. And so, but as we purify our character, we make a passageway, a free passageway for the Holy Spirit. If you remember in Isaiah, it says, prepare the road of the Lord through the wilderness. Clear a highway across the desert for our God. Every valley be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be brought down. Every rugged place shall be made smooth. And the mountain ranges become a plain. Now, we know that was a, the, the prophet Isaiah re, saying that in regards to the coming of Messiah, 
But the coming Messiah is in you, and a lot of times he's looking in, in your heart. And I, I love that we, we talked last night about the knocking of the door is inside of you. When we hear about the knocking of the door, again, we hear that story with that passage saying that it's God on the outside trying to knock to come in. But I would like to propose that a lot of times it's God on the inside saying, can I come out? Come on, will you let a lot of times the Holy Spirit is inside of us going, hey, I'd like to prophesy. Hey, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to speak in tongues right now. Hey, I'd like to intercede for you. You know, the Bible says when you pray in a tongue, the Spirit prays. It's a perfect prayer. Why wouldn't you not use your prayer language? I don't understand it. It's the perfect prayer. Look, you can't pray for yourself the way the Spirit can pray for you. Your mama can't pray for you. Sorry, mama. You can't pray for me the way the Spirit can pray for me. Pastor Billy, you can rip a prophetic word, but, but brother, you can't pray for me the way the Spirit can pray for me. Ain't nobody can pray for you the way the Holy Spirit can pray for you. Let him out. Let it loose. Let it roll. Sometimes I'm praying over people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues, and they're like this. Come on, we've seen that. But they're like trying so hard to hold it in, and I'm like, open your mouth. Come on, give him some. The man with the shriveled hand, Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Do the one thing you can't do. Pick up the flag. Pick it up. Give it a whirl. Try it out. Do something you've never done before. Joshua knew that this was an important process as well as he said to the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. Everybody say tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. And I wonder who in the room lives in the mindset that tomorrow God is doing something great in me, and therefore today I am positioned in preparation. Today I am readying myself because I live in the expectation that every today there is a tomorrow, and tomorrow is going to do, God's going to do something good. Because again, if He's a God who's increasing, what can we expect tomorrow is going to look like? Better, bigger, more powerful, more anointed, increase. So why are we not readying ourselves every day, living in a position of preparation? The west side of the Jordan offers supernatural nature. All right, so a lot of times we get hung up on the supernatural gifts. I love the supernatural gifts. And probably you guys know I'm going to lay hands on somebody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast out demons. I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm the weird one. I'm going to do it. But we also need to pursue. We need to be on a holy pursuit. We talked last night about having a holy pursuit a holy pursuit of supernatural character. That means I can love somebody weirdly. Come on, you know those people. Well, I can, I can have a supernatural wisdom in a moment. I have a supernatural patience. I have the ability to suffer long in spaces and places where I didn't in my yesterday. Because there's a supernatural character that God is loosing in my life because I'm abiding on the west side of the Jordan. But that means the minute I notice I've operated in something that's less than best, less than the person of Jesus. And we're going to be doing, talking about generational curses and the iniquities are the bends of the personality that we've been like, well, that's just how I am. Well, if it's not like Jesus, it's sin. It, it, 
You want me to say it again? Some of us have normalized our personalities, and we've said, well, that's just who I am. I'm just kind of a, I'm a type A. Oh, no, you operate in control and fear, and it's sin in your life. And you need to let go of the reins. There's freedom in that. And we're going to be talking about that today because a lot of times it's our iniquities in our lives, not just our overt sins, that actually keep us from entering into the West Side Story. So how do we purify our character? Allow the Holy Spirit to capture your mind and your emotions. I'm going to say that again. Allow the Holy Spirit to capture it. And that means I have to surrender what am I thinking in a moment, how am I feeling in a moment, and what do I want to do? The Bible says take every high thing captive, drag it into an alignment, make it captive to the obedience of Christ. The message says it this way, I'm going to tear down every barrier that has been erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought, fitting every loose emotion. Come, That's a sloppy. We talked about last night, the east side is sloppy. My emotions are sloppy. How many have sloppy emotions, right? Like I, I use this term like, oh, my gosh, we have, we have toddlers now in our house, and I'm like, oh, they're so emotionally dysregulated, you know? <laughs> like, oh, I forgot about that. But you know what? Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I'm like, I, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago. It was on uh, speaking in tongues, and that happened to be the day that I found multiple snakes in our bathroom, literal, literal snakes. And I was so emotionally dysregulated. My poor facilities manager, he came out, he had to come over multiple times because I kept finding more. And uh, yes, and, um, and I was like, I, look, these things were only about this big, and I technically should have been able to grab tongs and just pick it up. I just couldn't do it. Like I was, and then I was frustrated with myself because I couldn't, I was like, why can't I not just attack this fear? Like I was frustrated, so he came over, and I'm literally like talking like this. We should be able to do it right now. And then just tears, and I'm like shaking, and I'm like, I am so emotionally dysregulated right now. And, and it was interesting because I, I really do feel like it was a full-on attack because I would work through that issue with that snake, literally, and I would go into my closet, into my closet which is actually my office, and I would be like, okay, relax. It's fine. And then my mind would be like, where are these snakes coming from? And I'm like, nope, it doesn't matter. It's fine. God is with you. He protects you. But where is it? Right? And I kid you not, I would finally get relaxed and be like, I think I just need to take a nap. And I would get up to go to the bathroom, because we all go to the bathroom before we take a nap, because I don't want to be awakened by my bladder. Am I the only one? Okay. And I would go into the bathroom, and I would find another snake. Four times. Four times this happened. And I was like, Anyways, if you haven't seen the podcast, Let's Talk Purpose, Speaking in Tongues, I want you to watch it, and I want you to realize this was the day that snakes entered my house, and I wrestled with the Lord and said, you said that the peace of God is mine. I don't care how many snakes are in my house. God, you said there is a peace that surpasses all of my understanding. God, you said there is a peace that I can live in. God, you said that the eye of the storm is in me. That things around me can be disheveled, things around me can be dysregulated, but I refuse to allow my emotions and my mind to become dysregulated. There was a battle in that, and if you watch the podcast, you'll know that I won, the Holy Spirit and I won, right? Because the Holy Spirit's not your doer, he's your helper, so we partnered in that. And it was a continual surrender, it was an opportunity for me to grow, like how much can I shake her? 
What about another snake? What about another snake? How about another snake? And some of you are stuck in that pattern in your life where you're circling the mountain and that snake keeps showing up. And God is like, will you wrestle with me like Jacob wrestled with me? And say, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not, letting, I'm not leaving this spot until you reward me. Because the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek you. That's a river that was rushing on that day. So we have to learn how to take every high thing captive. Captive. The Bible says in Colossians 1.3, if then you were raised with Christ. That's me. Anybody else? Okay, so there's no if for us. I was raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, let me just give you this visual for a moment. We have three heavens. And in the third heavens is where you are positioned with Christ. We live in the first heavens, and your second heavens is where all your warfare takes place. It's where the angelic and the demonic realm engage in warfare. Now, if we have the mind of Christ and we are seated with Christ, that means I have the perspective from the third heavens. And not only can I see better, but I also am in a position of authority. Come on. And I can look down on this thing and go, hey, anxiety, shh, be quiet in the name of Jesus. And I can shift things because I've not settled in my natural, which is the first heavens, but I'm settled in the third heavens with Christ on high. And I have that perspective. It goes on and it says, set your mind on things above. Invitation. How many of you know this verse? How many of you do the verse? Okay, because you can know a verse but not do the verse. You can have knowledge of a verse but not have a revelation of the verse. You can have the knowledge of verse, but the verse, but not have the reality of the verse. There's an invitation where he's like, no, no, you actually have to do it. You actually have to set, you have to change. And that word mind is the Greek word phroneo, which means the exercising of your thoughts and the affection of your heart, which combined together is often considered your attitude. I'm going to say that again. How many of you have an attitude that's set on Christ above? Because some of us have learned how to temper what we say. We've learned how to temper how we behave, but we'd be sitting in church like this. Or we'd be giving our husbands the silent treatment. Come on, we're just keeping it real. But if you want to enter into the promised land, if you want to loose the fullness of Christ in you, you have to set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. And that includes your heart, your mind, your attitude, and your choices. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transform, be what? By the what? Okay, so we, how many times do we pray? Oh, transformation, transformation. But we're not like, oh, I, pro I prophesy a renewal of the mind in the room. Come on, that's your invitation. God does the transformation when you do the renewing. And a lot of us are like, why isn't God transforming me? And I'm like, because you haven't renewed your minds. You're still thinking the way you thought when you were unsaved. I wish that I could have a spiritual conversation with you. But as it is, you can't even handle the milk that I'm feeding you. And to have a spiritual conversation would require spiritual words. And you're just not there. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to capture not only our mind, not only our emotions. Let me, let me, read, let me read actually Romans 12, 2 in the message because I love it. It says, don't become so well-adjusted 
to your east side, your culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. It's easy. We talked last night about comfortable. That somehow we think being a Christian means I'm just trying to find a comfortable space. But he says, don't don't be so adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And I wonder what steals our attention in a moment. A snake? Come on. Your anxiety? Oh, my leg hurts. Oh, my finances. Oh, the way my boss looked at me. Oh, the way she looked at me. Oh, what somebody said about me. Oh, the way my husband spoke to me. All of our attention is being scattered, is being dysregulated by the things in this world. And it goes on and says, fix your attention on God and you'll, change, you'll be changed from the inside out. From the inside out. Where we, if I could rename this conference, it would be living inside out. Okay? You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants for you and quickly respond to it. Y'all, I didn't write this. It's too good. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you who are always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Come on. A lot of us are looking for the best of God, the best around us. But he says the best is in you, and I want to bring it out of you. And I want to develop a well-formed maturity in you. I want to develop a well-formed maturity in you. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit to capture our mind and our emotions. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to capture our will. And we talked about this last night quite a bit, which is I'm going to live without compromise. I am no longer content with what is permissible. I am chasing after what is beneficial. How did this decision benefit your relationship with the Lord? I mean, it didn't really benefit it. Well, if it didn't benefit it, why are you doing it? Yes, sure, maybe God is okay with it. Maybe it's permissible, but I'm tired of permissible. See, we are a people of God who are desiring the beneficial goods of the kingdom, but we think we can live a permissible lifestyle, but then reap the fullness of of his gifts. And that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And we have to decide this weekend there are going to be permissible things that God is going to remove from my life so that I can come into the benefits, because beneficial means the benefits. God is a benefactor, and he wants to pour out his benefits upon you and I, and that requires us to engage in slimming away the permissible lifestyle. The reality is God didn't start... He did not start commitments in your life. When you make a commitment, listen, when you make a commitment, commit to it completely. And and when we talk about allowing the Holy Spirit to have the fullness of our will, so we're still talking about the soul, mind, will, and emotions, crossing our will, that means I'm not going to make flippant, fickle decisions. And a lot of us are so afraid of what man is going to say, we're so desperate to be accepted. We're so desperate to be needed. I don't know who I am if somebody doesn't need me. We're so desperate. We make fickle decisions and that flow in and out of the circumstances of our life and the whims of our emotions. But to surrender your will to the Holy Spirit means I'm not, I'm not doing anything until I hear from God. Like I need to have a level of intentionality in my life On the east side is a yes, on the west side is a yes and amen. 
It's a yes and amen. And a lot of us can't follow through on a lot of commit on our commitments, and most of the time it's because you weren't supposed to make the commitment to begin with. You didn't pray about it, you don't have boundaries, you don't know how to say no, and you're not living in the intentionality of the kingdom, and therefore your life is compromising. You're tired, your schedule is crowded, and you're weary, and you wonder why. Because you are engaging in things that are good, but they're not God. Because remember we said last night that the good land was different than the God land. They settled in a good land. This land seems good to us, but they missed out on the God land. And we wonder why we're unable to sustain or to see our commitments all the way through. And the reality of this, if God didn't start it and it wasn't compelled by the heart and the spirit of God, then why would you, why would you ask him to sustain it? See, what God starts, he sustains. When God said, let there be light, he sustains light. And if God says to you, let you work in the nursery, he will sustain the energy, he will sustain the obedience, he will sustain the joy. But if you're like, well, nobody else is doing it, I guess I'll do it. Because this church needs a martyr, and I guess I'm it. Is that too much? Okay. Well, if I don't do it, who else will? I don't know, but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it unless I get the blessing of the Lord on it. Because if I have the blessing of the Lord, then there, he will give me the energy. He will give me the joy. He will give me the obedience to see it all the way through. And I would like to propose to you, there's probably a lot of people in this room that have faith, but they're not faithful. And faith is on the east side, but faithful is on the west side. And we've got to learn to surrender our will to God and say, I'm not doing it unless you call me into it. Living in the west side requires more than just stepping out of sin. We've got to step out of our soul. You've got to step out of your soul. We have learned what it looks like to be a believer, what it, what, what it looks like to act like a believer, but we've not learned what it looks like to actually be a believer. We've learned, I, I know the Bible says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. But, but if we think about that, he doesn't really mean imitate me. He's saying be me, become me. As I am, so you are. That's all in the present tense. As I am, so you are. And a lot of us have learned what it looks like to pray for people. We talked about this last night, praying for the soul realm. And we're missing out on the spiritual revelation that God wants to reveal to you about the heart of the person. And while you're Prayer may feel great to their soul, and they feel better. I just want you to feel better. Oh, I just, we want you to feel better. Have you guys ever, I worked with youth for years. I, I've said that last night, but um, I was talking to, uh, I, I preached this message somewhere else, and we were talking about uh, the emotional feelings of the altar. I'm just going to tell you a pet peeve of mine. When somebody goes forward, and they're crying, and next thing you know, like, everybody's coming around them, like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry, and your drama becomes my drama, and your tears become my tears. And we had, we did youth for years, and they literally had what they called cry night. And I was like, what? I don't understand. This is so emotional. Of course, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I have a fear of emotions, but we'll talk about that another time. And I'm like, this is all so emotional. Like, what, what is happening here? Like, at some point, when are we as believers of God saying, I hear you, I feel you, I have compassion for you, I validate you, but God says this. But God says there's joy in the morning. 
But God says you have the mind of Christ. But God says you have been set free from that addiction. But God says, that's why the shirt says God's butt is always bigger than your butt. No matter, but a lot of us like to hang out in the butts of the people. Oh, I know how you feel. I was like that too. When I got divorced, oh my God, it was so hard. And, and that's okay for a moment, for a moment, for a moment. But for God's sake, move on. Don't jump in the pit and hang out with your pit friend. Bring a ladder and get them out. That's what compassion is. See, empathy is I'm going to sit in the, you guys know empathy is not in the Bible. It's a big pet peeve of mine. I'm an empath. I'm like, that's a new age term. Stop using it. Compassion is in the Bible. Empathy is not. Empathy is I see you. I feel you. I feel the energy of the rocks. Ooh. I feel your energy. Oh, I feel your energy. Like, what is that? Like, I don't, like, I feel the energy of the Father's heart for you. And I am vexed by what has held you captive. And I'm going to jump into your pit, but I need you to know I'm bringing a ladder. Because, girlfriend, we ain't staying here. And if you want to stay, I'm leaving you in there. But I ain't hanging out in here with you. I ain't hanging out in here with you. And that's the difference we can That was for free. You're welcome for that. All right. Listen, how do we hold the line and stay in the character of God? Let me check my time. How do we hold the line and stay in the character of God? How do we keep that purity? Okay, so we talked about crossing the river, and I gave that teaching really fast because I, I feel like a lot of people in here are like, I know what I'm supposed to do to take my mind captive. Do it. I know what I'm supposed to do to, to make my emotions submitted to the Holy Spirit. Do it. I have taught that at every one of my conferences. I've written books on it. If you aren't living it, it's because you're not doing it. It's not because I haven't taught you. So we're going to move on to how do we hold the line, and I want to talk to you about humility and repentance. We've got to keep your heart soft and moldable to the hand of God. The Bible says in Psalm 139, search me, seek me. Come on, is this a popular prayer? See if there be any wicked way in me. Come on, I want it to all be removed. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, repent therefore. Before this, by the way, he said, it was you lived a life that was ignorant. You lived a life that was naive. But now the season is changing. This is a prophetic word for today. And so he says this, repent therefore and be converted into the west side, my words, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration in all things. This is not just about being sorry. Repenting is not just saying, I'm sorry. It's not just confessing, but instead it is the act of turning away from sin and turning into a better habit, a better pattern, a better choice. I'm not just turning away from something, but I'm committing to, to commit to something new. If you don't commit to something new, you will default. Science will tell you that you will default right back into your old pattern. You've got to replace the old pattern with something new. And it says this, this verse tells us that this is what repentance leads to. The hope of blotting out sin, times of refreshing and restoration, which I would like to propose to you are all the elements necessary for revival. I'm going to say it again. You guys are like, wait, whoa, 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 would she say revival? Because that's a buzzword, right? We all want revival, but we don't want to repent. Lord have mercy. 
It is the act of turning away from sin. It, is, it leads to the hope of blotting out sin, times of refreshing and restoration, the elements that we find in every revival historically. The elements that we find. The Bible says this in James chapter 4, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace, and it says this, therefore submit your, yourself to God. My children memorized this verse when they were little with verses or with little motions. You guys have seen me do like motions right before. It's like resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, <laughs> we would do this little laughter, be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then we would do this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And he will lift you up. You know, when I was first saved, I didn't understand. I was like, I, I lived in depression. You guys know my story. I had clinical depression for years with panic anxiety attacks. And I didn't understand. I was like just trying to find the laughter, and you're trying to tell me to turn my laughter into, into gloom and doom and all these things. I was like, I got the lamenting in the morning and the weeping down. And God is like, no, I don't want you to lament and mourn and weep over all the things you want and you're not getting, which is really the root of depression. I'm just going to say it. You want me to say it again? There's something in my life that I want and I'm not getting it. I can't change it. I can't fix it. And so I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to either respond. Men respond in anger. Women tend to respond in depression. That's just what we see in the counseling room. Don't shoot me. I'm just telling you what we see. But the beauty... There is a beauty to humility in Christ. And this passage is talking about being grieved over the things in your life that are less than best. Come on, I'm not talking about being grieved because you cussed your husband out. I'm talking about being grieved because you didn't respond in love to your neighbor. You were impatient. You gossiped. You complained. You were fussy. I'm talking about being grieved to the same degree that you would be grieved because you had an adulterous relationship. In fact, in the beginning of this passage, it says, you adulterers, don't you know that a friendship with the world is a hatred towards God? I'm talking about being grieved when I am conformed and in friendship with the east side and compromise. And I want to be grieved and I want to be saddened by that. And I want to have a godly conviction that leads me to repentance. And the Bible says it's the kindness and it's the love of God that leads a man to repentance. And I think we have forgotten the beauty of humility and repentance, but it is absolutely a key to letting the Holy Spirit across. It's how we free the pathway. It's how we remove the rubble. Get the anger out of your way. Come on, leave your bitterness at the altar and don't pick it up when you go back home. Come on, don't pick it back up. We've got to clear the path so the Holy Spirit is like, oh, I can see the outside. Now I can come out. You've cleared the way, and repentance and humility makes a way for the Holy Spirit to be, it'll be so easy, and it will be fitting to who you are. See, some of us fear the super that's in our natural. And God says, I'm a kind God, I'm a gentle God, and I'm an easy God. And if you yoke yourself with me, things will become easy easy. And that word easy in the Greek it denotes the idea of beneficial. 
It will be beneficial to you. So we think easy means I'm not going to have to do any hard work. Oh, you're going to have to do hard work. You're going to have to work hard. It's just not going to be hard work. It's going to be easy in the kingdom. i got to move on. So there's a beauty to humility in Christ. So how do we, uh, we want to abide in the decisions that we make. So I want you to think about how to predetermine your days. And I think about the two and a half tribes who were like, I went in and I came out. And I went in and I came out. And the Bible says in Psalm 51.10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. So we're talking about not just how to get into the west side over here, but how do I sustain that? And it says, create in me a pure heart. Make me a woman of repentance. Make me a woman of humility and of purity and, and therefore release a steadfast spirit where I don't just try something, but I have determined I will continue in it until God tells me not to do it. And all throughout, we know this in the counseling room, we tell people, hey, we'll give them assignments like, do you think you can do that? Like, I'll try it. And I'm like, you're not allowed to say that in my counseling room. You're either going to be honest. If you're not going to do it, at least be honest with me. I can take your honesty because we can change your assignment to something we know you'll be successful at. But if you come to you like, I'm going to try, you're not going to do it. I know you're not going to do it. And you, or you're going to, what I'll try means I'm going to try it once or twice, but when I don't see immediate evidence, I'm going to quit and tell people it didn't work. And the motive in that is I'm looking for an external reward instead of the reward of obedience. Come on, and some of us are like, I tried that and I couldn't change my husband. I'm like, well, is that your goal? Is your goal to change your husband or is your goal to love him like Christ? Come on, is your goal to be a lovely wife? Because if your goal is to change him, you have the wrong motive, and that's your problem, and that's why you're frustrated, and that's why you're depressed, and now you want a divorce. Come on, this isn't a destructive marriage. This is a disappointing marriage, and it's disappointing because you have a false expectation. Come on, don't make me preach this. Who wants marriage counseling? Oh, she. And so when we, have a fault, when we have a false expectation that I'm going to change my pattern and that's going to change my husband's pattern, and I tried it. I did it for three whole days. Now, I didn't look at him cross. I didn't cuss at him. I was nice. I respected him. And you know what? He was still a jerk to me. I'm not doing that again. Well, shame on you because your motive is wrong. Your motive is wrong. When people told me, uh, well, I tried a TikTok and it didn't work, and I'm like, did God tell you to try a TikTok? Going back to living intentionally, living in the yes and amen. If God says it, do it and keep doing it until he says stop doing it. When he said let there be light, he doesn't have to have a secret meeting every day that goes, should we still be light? Should we, is it working? Is it working? Well, I think there's too much light over here and not enough light. What do you think? Is it? And God's like, no, I said let there be light. And until the day comes when I say, let there not be light, there will continue to be light. And if God said, start a TikTok, start a TikTok. And it doesn't matter if you have one follower or 27,000 followers. It does not matter if he said, do it, you do it. And don't look for the reward around you. Look for the reward within you. There is so much beautiful reward to obedience. And if we would shut our ears, we would shut our eyes to the reward of our circumstances Come on, to the reward of your spouse, my husband didn't notice anything, my kids didn't notice, my friends aren't thankful, nobody notices what, I don't care. Is that why you're doing it? Decide that you're going to live in the yes and amen and predetermine that you will not be moved. 
I'm reminded of how the priests in the Old Testament, listen to this, I was telling Angelus the other day, they could not go into the Holy of Holies with even a scab on their skin. They couldn't go, they had to have their entire, all of their skin had to be checked to make sure there was not even a scab on their, on their skin because they could not enter into the Holy of Holies with any blemish or any defect. And some of you are like, look at my scab, let me pick it so it'll bleed and you can feel sorry for me. And then we wonder why we can't abide in the Holy of Holies. Is this just too real? Come on, these are, we're big boys and girls in this room. We're, we're ready for solid food, right? And some of us are so busy picking our scabs so that we can continue and I want and showing people our scars and talking about our past and how we were abused. And yeah, I don't like people. I don't like to be touched because I was abused. Well, move on. That's your east side. Actually, that's your wilderness. That's, not, that's probably even your Egypt. Come on, we're in process here. How far do we go? How far do we abide? Are we going to abide all the way in our Egypt, picking our scabs? And then we wonder why we can't enter into the Holy of Holies because you have defect in your life, and you've been picking your defect because we know that the blood of Jesus healed every scab. The blood of Jesus healed every scar. The blood of Jesus healed every wound. The blood of Jesus healed every abuse. Come on, he healed it. And some of you are like, Pastor Lisa, you don't know the abuse. I don't need to know the abuse. I know Jesus Christ. And he heals every abuse. And if you want to enter into the Holy of Holies, abide in the west side, you got to be without blemish. you got to be without defect. You can't have even a scab in your life. Come on, that's raising up the, the bar a little bit. That's raising the bar a little bit. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.